Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Well, have you ever had someone be just really kind to you and gracious? Maybe even a stranger, someone you didn't know, or maybe someone you did know well, and they, they just are, they help you, they encourage you. When you have a need, they try to help you meet it. And just when you think, you know, man, they have just gone so far beyond, you know, all of a sudden they step up and offer to do something more. And you're like, you've already done too much, right? You've already done so much, I can't expect you to, but they do it anyway. Or maybe you have been that person. But what I want you to see, that's that's what we're gonna see today as we, we look at what God has done for us. When we consider that all that he's done, and then we realize that he's actually done much more than that. So good to us. Well, we've been in our series on the book of Romans. Romans is a, is a really important book to understand. And uh, so I'm going to do a little review for you today before we, we get into chapter 5. Uh, and remind you, if you remember that there, Paul was writing about certain questions that had come from Rome. He had not been there himself yet, but people that he knew, Christians, had gone there. There was a church started there. Uh, but there was a problem because it's, it's just, uh, something was happening all the way around the world, really, in the church. But... There were Jewish people who had become believers in Jesus Christ, understood that Jesus really is the Messiah. And Jewish believers, what kind of a background did they come from? A very strict background with a lot of religious practices, rules to follow, the law of Moses uh, that affected their appearance, how they ate, how they went about their daily things. And then they became followers of Christ and they just kind of carry that lifestyle right into their Christianity. But what's happening is the gospel goes out around the world. People who were not Jewish people were coming to Christ because Jesus is the savior of the whole world. And they come to Christ and they don't have any of those practices. They don't have any of those habits. They don't have those backgrounds. And so they would just live like they always live with the exception of beginning to choose not to sin, you know, not to do the wrong things, but they just didn't have all this stuff. But for the, for the Jewish Christians, it was like, wait a minute, how, you know, if we want to be right with God, we've got to do these things, and you aren't doing them. And, and it began to create this, this tension, okay? And, and it wasn't just a one-directional tension. It wasn't just the Jews having the tension with the uh, Gentiles. The Gentiles had the tension back with the, with the Jews. In fact, when we get to chapter 14, we're going to see how this goes, that, that there's this one sense of people tending to be judgmental and critical of the others, and then the other people on the other side going, yeah, whatever, you know? And neither one of them really connecting and loving each other like they should. And what did Jesus say that the world, how the world would know that we're his disciples? By the love we have for one another. Do you see how this is a problem that Paul has to address? And he um, decides to address this by, by going to the gospel and talking to them about the gospel and getting them to really understand what has gone on. Now, by the way, we... We might think, okay, that's, that's ancient history, the Jews and the Gentiles and all that, but let me say to you that in this room here today, there are some of you, maybe many of you, 
whose religious background it was very much about keeping a lot of rules. Living a certain, acting a certain way, talking a certain way, dressing a certain way, you know, you with me on that? And then there's others of us who come to Christ with not, hardly any of that kind of stuff, and we're like, ah, free. And, and so sometimes th- this church has wrestled with this. This is st- still a very real kind of issue. It's not just a Jew-Gentile issue. It's a people issue. And so the gospel speaks to this. And so in chapter 1, uh, the apostle Paul starts in on the gospel, and he goes way back before there were any Jews or any Gentiles, and he talks about from the very beginning and about how every human being, that God has revealed himself in creation enough that every human being can know that there's a God, know that he is powerful, and know that he is personal. God says he has revealed that in creation and even within our own selves, and that man's response, because of what we inherited from Adam, man's response is to push back on that. Because by nature, who do I want to be Lord of my life? Me. Same for you. That's our our nature. It's our tendency to push back against God. And when people push back against God and in a culture when they push back against God and they refuse to acknowledge God as creator, designer, they reject that and then they begin changing all sorts of things in the culture and it leads to all sorts of sins and problems. By the way, our culture is there because our culture has largely pushed back against God and said, nope, we're not gonna accept you as creator, we're not gonna accept you as designer, you know, we're gonna redesign. And it brings to all sorts of problems. So this is, this is, but this is where we all are by nature from birth. Now, it's easy for us to still compare ourselves with other people. And so chapter two, uh, Paul says, hey, you know, I know that you think you aren't like that, but let me tell you that deep inside you actually are like that. That we are all in trouble, that we might think we're good, but here's the deal, he says, every one of us breaks the rules. He was talking about the law, the law of Moses, but we've all broken the rules. And he said, here's the thing, even people who don't know those laws, that God has written a law in their hearts about that there's things that's right and wrong. Not the specifics of the, you know, not the specifics of the law of Moses, but in their hearts they just know that certain things are right and certain things are wrong and then they go ahead and they do what's wrong. We've all done this, haven't we? When we knew something was right and we didn't do it, when we knew something was wrong and we did it. And so he says, we're all in the same boat. He said, those of you who have the law, you have broken that law. Those who don't have the law have broken the law that's written in their hearts. We are all guilty before God. And then in chapter three, he traces this back and says, here's why. He says, because, and he's referring to the whole idea that in, you know, Adam sinned and we inherit the sin. And as, as David said in the Psalms, from the moment we were conceived, this sin was at work, this self-focus was at work. And God says, we're all in this situation because there is no one who is righteous. And he, he emphasizes it, no, not even one. We're all in the same boat. And then he goes on to explain in chapter three that that having the rules never saved anybody. Because you know, here's here's the deal, we, actually I'll get to that later, getting ahead of myself. 
He says in chapter three, he says, guess what? And guess what's in the Greek, by the way? I'm kidding. You guys with me? Okay. He says, guess what? Nobody has ever been justified or made right with God by keeping the rules. You can't. You've already broken them. You will continue to do so, hopefully less. Nobody's ever been made right with God on that basis. It's only on the basis of what God has done for us in Jesus that anybody ever gets made right with God. And then he goes on into chapter four and elaborates on this and begins to explain. He says, look, we are saved. By saved, you know, that's, that's a religious word that we use, but we are saved, it means being saved from uh, the penalty of sin, which is hell. There's a sense in which we are saved by God, being saved by God as we're being freed from the power of sin. And so this, he says we are, we're saved not by how we live, because how have we lived? Anybody here live perfectly? None of us have. We've all violated God's laws. And so he says, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world. And he lived a perfect and sinless life. He did not sin. And as he died on the cross, God the Father took the penalty for my sins and placed them on Christ as he died there, paying the penalty for me. And he did the same for you and the same for everyone in the whole world. Jesus dies paying the penalty for everyone. And it is sufficient payment. It is sufficient payment for all of my sins, all the sins I have ever committed, all the sins I ever will commit. Jesus died paying the penalty for all of them. And the offer that he made to me, which he makes to you, was if you will acknowledge your need that you have indeed sinned against me, that your destiny is hell, which you have earned by the way you have lived. And then you will believe that Jesus did die, paying the penalty for your sins, that you can place your faith in him, receive him as savior, and then his payment becomes your payment. Sins paid for. And more than that, it says his righteousness, how he did it right, gets credited to your account as well. Such good news, isn't it? Well, what do we gotta do to get it? Which rules do I need to follow? Well, that's the whole point. Chapter three, he says, no, you can't get it by following the rules. The only way you can get it is by faith. By faith. He says that right at the end of chapter three, he elaborates on chapter four. What do we mean by faith? Well, faith, there's, there's two ideas kind of connected to this that are all mushed together, all right? But one idea is the idea of there's some things we have to know. There's some truth that we have to understand. And here we're talking about the truth about the fact that we've sinned and who Jesus is and what he did for us. Uh, and so we have to know that truth, but it isn't just knowing. There's a lot of people walking around knowing things about God, right? You probably, you probably know some of those people. It goes beyond that. I know this and now I am, from my heart, I am choosing to trust it for me. That makes sense. 
And so those two things come together. And, and with, that's what we mean, receiving Christ by faith. Okay, I get it. I have, am a sinner. I have sinned against God. It's separated me from God. And if I die in this condition, I'll be separated from God forever. I, I know that Jesus died for me and died for my sins, paid the penalty, rose again to take care of my sins and give me eternal life. I know this. All right. I'm going to trust it for me. And that's what we talk about receiving Christ as Savior. And when we do that, very often, you know, we, we say a prayer to God and tell him that's what we're doing. And, and at that point, we have sins forgiven. We receive eternal life. God moves into our lives and begins to change things from the inside out. But it's this faith that he talks about in chapter 4. Saying it's not by the rules. And what he does is, you got to understand, for the Jewish believers at the time, this idea of being right with God included so many things to them. All these practices and rules and rituals and, and it meant so much and all of a sudden it's kind of like getting stripped away from them. And they're like, but wait a minute, you know, our Jewish heritage, what was all this about then? And Paul says, well, let's, let's go back and talk about your spiritual father, Abraham. And when he did that, all the Jewish people said, yeah, Abraham, he's our spiritual father. And he says, well, Abraham, it tells us in the Bible that Abraham was made righteous because he believed God. He put his faith in the promise of God. He said he believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness by God. And when did Abraham live? Oh, yeah. About 800, 900 years before the law was given. Abraham is your spiritual father. He believed and was made right. And that is the same way you are made right with God, by believing. And so he lays that out in chapter four. We can be saved in no other way other than by placing our faith in Christ to do so which brings us up to chapter five. And in chapter five, the Apostle Paul, uh, right in the first few verses says, he says, now because of what Jesus has done for you, you've placed your faith in what Jesus has done for you, he says, you are now justified before God. Justified before God, well, what does that mean? Justified before God means the idea of being made right before God. You were sinful, now he's saying we've taken care of that sin, you're right. But let me just give you a simple way to remember what it means to be justified, okay? It means just as if I never sinned and just as if I never will. That's the way God looks at me today and treats me. Is that good news? That when God looks at me, have you sinned? Have you sinned recently? Hopefully you're sinning less than you used to. We want to grow, right? We want to become better people. We want to let God transform our lives. But we sin and we have sin and we sadly will continue to sin. I said hopefully less. But Jesus died for every one of those and when we place our faith in him, he says we are justified and now my relationship with God is no longer about those sins because God views me just as if I had never sinned and just as if I never will. And the reason he views me that way is because Jesus never sinned, Jesus never will, and he took my place and paid the penalty. Man, being justified is good news, isn't it? 
And then he says, we have peace with God. We used to be in an enemy relationship, a hiding relationship. He said, no, we have peace with God now. It is open. He has opened the door to access to him. And it reminds me of what it says in Hebrews when it says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Come boldly. I mean, just consider the office of president. Do you think you could walk up to the White House and say, hey, I'm coming to see the president? And, oh, sure, right in. And they walk, you walk into the place and, then, and, and you'd open the Oval Office door and walk in. Now, would that be bold? It'd probably be stupid, too. <laughs> but with God, it's not stupid. He says, because of what Jesus did for us, it's open. You can come. Come. This holy, righteous God who absolutely judges sin, hates sin, poured out his wrath on sin, on Jesus as he died for us. And so we are free access to God now. We don't have to, we don't have to come before God and say, oh God, I, you know, I, I'm sorry I'm bothering you. I'm no, we need to come and say, God, I'm here again. Here I am, I need you, and I need your help. I need you to work in my life. And then he goes on there. All this is the first five verses of Romans 5. And he talks about how now even the bad stuff that happens, the hard stuff, that all of it, God uses it to, to develop godly character in us. And that it helps us to know that all things indeed do work together for good to those who know Christ. And so he works in our lives. And because of that, there, there's nothing that can happen in your life. And by the way, you know, some of you today may have things under the surface or things that are about to explode in your life that we don't know anything about and you do and you're like just overwhelmed. We've all been there. But when we understand what God has said here, here's, here's the deal. No matter what happens to me now in this life, now that I know Christ, no matter what happens to me, God is going to make sure that it can be used for good in my life or he won't let it happen. Nothing gets wasted. And now that gives me great hope. When, when all the things that would normally wear you out and depress you and, you know, and, and discourage you, you start to realize that, wait a minute, yeah, this is hard and I don't like it. It even makes me cry and I can't figure it out. But you know what? I got hope because God is using this in me. He's using me and other people. It's, there's great hope here. And, and then he finishes this, this whole thing when he says, and, and not only that, God has filled our hearts with his love, a love of God that we never knew before. His love in us, our love back to him, our ability to love and desire to love other people. This filled our hope, love. Now that's a great way to live, isn't it? Who wants to live discouraged and hateful? Oh, hope and love. I tell you what, I'm just going to take a breather for a minute. <laughs> Has God done enough? Has he done more than enough? Yeah, he's done way more than enough. And just when we think we understand that, we discover that there's still much more. Much more. I want you to be so encouraged today as we consider what God has done for us. Let's go to Romans chapter 5. Page 1298 in the pew, the, pew, the, the Bible that's in the chairs there. 
By the way, do you know how many, I mean, I think Pastor Dave did it last week. We before talked about the pews, the Bible in the pews, and I do that off and on. You know why that is, don't you? It's because when I came to Christ, well, like even growing up, what, what did people sit in in churches, do you think, when I grew up? Pews. I guess say the April 4th, 1975, there were pews. There were pews here for 30 some odd years while I was here. Now, the reason I say that is because how hard do you think it would be for that Jewish person who had grown up and all of a sudden it all seems like it's getting changed on? You, it just comes out, doesn't it? The old ways. All right. Let's pick up in, cha- in verse number six of chapter five. It says, for when we were still without strength, talking about spiritual strength, we had no ability to make ourselves right with God. When we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. And then Paul says, this is an amazing thing. Verse seven, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What kind of love is that? Really? I mean, think about who you would die for. You know, I think there's definitely people in our lives who'd say, yeah, I would probably give my life for that person. I mean, knowingly, knowing ahead of time, I'm gonna have to give my life, I'll give my life for that person. There's There's probably lots of times we would give our lives for people we didn't even know on the spur of the moment, something happens. But that's not what we're talking about here. This wasn't, didn't catch God by surprise and all of a sudden, oh, Jesus just died for somebody. Think about people that you say, I don't think I would be willing to die for that person. Can you think of anybody like that? How about Saddam Hussein, who's gone now? Would you have given your life for him? Think of the worst sinners that you know. We, we, I mean, maybe you know, as Christians, we would reach a point where we could, but on our own, by nature, I would not do that, would you? Man, I'd give my life for my family, my kids, my grandkids, probably for most of you. I'll let you figure out who of you aren't the most. I'm uh, <laughs> just kidding. Um, but man, God knew me. He knew that I had a selfish heart. He knew that I, had, I was headstrong to go my own way, do my own thing. Didn't really care that much about him. I liked him when I liked him, and I didn't when I didn't. He knew that. He said, this boy needs a savior. I love this young man. So before he ever created him, he knew this, and he sent his son to die for me, to die for you. What kind of love is this, folks? That's a greater love than we understand. And we probably never will fully understand that, even in eternity. We'll grow in understanding of it. All right, so he loved us like that. And then look, verse nine, much more than, it says, much more than, five times in this chapter, he says, much more than, there's more. He says, much more than having now been justified by his blood, remember, just as if I never sinned, just as if I never will, justified by his shed blood. 
we shall be saved from wrath through him. So not only are we forgiven now, but we will never face wrath. The anger of God against us, he's never angry with us ever again as a sinner. And we will not die and go to hell, we will die and go to heaven to be with him. And even in this world, our understanding of, of what's gonna happen in the end times, there's a time when God is going to pour his wrath out on the earth who has rejected him and rebelled against him and fought against him, and he's going to pour his wrath out, but you and I won't be there. Not only has forgiven us our sins, but we're not gonna experience that, which we rightfully deserve. Verse 10, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been re reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And so this is, there's this much more in the middle again. Okay, we were enemies. In other words, were you right with God when he saved you? Were you right with God when he saved you? You were a righteous person and God says, boy, this, this fellow's good, I think I'll save him. No, we weren't there. We were his enemies when he worked in our lives and brought us to the point where we cried out for his mercy. And it, we were his enemies and he did it for us. He says, how much more? How much more now that we aren't enemies, we're reconciled, will we benefit from his life? And, and again, this idea of life, we have eternal life because Jesus rose from the dead. But we don't, it isn't like this. Let me say, you don't die and then get eternal life. The Bible's very clear that when we come to Christ in our lives, that at that moment we get eternal life because we get his life in us. And, and that saves us from so much. You know, we, we tend to think of the word saved as being just about heaven and hell. It isn't, it is about heaven and hell. But you know what, he is saving my life now from all the ravages of sin that I would have been in, all the destruction. He's saving me. It's because his life is in me and he's growing me and changing me and shaping me. Let's continue, verse 11. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. So rather than having this life, like instead of despair and struggle and discouragement and and deceit and all that, now we have this life of, of joy. And I know life isn't always fun. It isn't always fun. It's not always happy. But because of the truth of my relationship with God, now I can always have joy. And I can choose to rejoice in that. Changed everything. Let's continue. Verse 12. He goes back and starts to give us a little bit of history and points us to where Christ is taking us. He says, therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world. Who's that one man? Adam, that's right. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin. And thus death spread to all men because all sinned. Now, verses 13 through 17. Is a, is a parenthetical statement. And it, it, it's a little bit confusing in trying to read and understand it. So I'm just gonna summarize it for you here real quick, okay? What he says is this, is we are human beings. In Adam means human beings, okay? We're descendant of Adam, we're human beings. And what we have by nature, natural, what comes to us naturally as being a human being descendant of him is sin and all the problems that go with us. 
And he talks about this in these verses. He says, and the summarizes this. He says, everything that you have in Adam has been bad and has taken you in the wrong direction. Everything that you have that way, he says, in Christ, you have much more in the right direction. Much more. Much more. How much more? Much more. All my in-laws uh, just crack me up sometimes. Once in a while, they, you know, they get to talking to each other and they put their funny voices on. Honey, I love you. I love you. How much do you love me? I love you all the muches in the world. I've heard this with my own ears. But guess what? How much more? All the muches in the world. That's how much more God has done for us compared to what we had in by nature as a human being. He's done so much more. So here in verse 12, he says, okay, we got the sin from Adam. We inherited it from Adam. Jump down to verse 18. He says, therefore, as through one man's offense, Adam's sin, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act. Who's that? Jesus, his, his dying for us, one man's righteous act. The free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life, okay? So in Adam, death and judgment. In Christ, uh, justification, forgiveness, mercy, life. Verse 19, for as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, there we go, that's our direction with Adam, so also by one man's obedience, Christ's obedience, many will be made righteous. I'm one of them. If you receive Christ, you're one of them. If you will receive Christ, you will be one of them. Verse 20, moreover the law entered that the offense might abound. Well, let's just stop there. Why did God give the law of Moses? We read all the things, the commands and things that Israelites and the Jewish people had to follow. Why did he give that? Well, the Bible's pretty clear that one of the reasons he gave is to symbolize things that were going to happen, to, to help the Jewish people understand what God was going to do for them when their Messiah came, all the symbols of the sacrifices and those kinds of things. Some of the law was for their benefit as far as their health goes, some of the things that were in there. But God has revealed to us here one of the main reasons he gave all of those specific rules was to show us how sinful we are. You see, because there can be this sense in which people would say, well, if God would just tell us what to do, then we'd do it. How do we know? If God would just tell us. And God did. And what did people do? broke the rules repeatedly. And what he did is he amplified the, the problem that we have. He said, why would he want to, you know, make us even more aware of sin? Well, because he wants to make us more aware that we need him, right? And I tell you what, that if, if you start looking, uh, let me encourage you, if you ever struggle with the idea, am I, where am I at with God on my own? Just actually take some time and begin reading through the Bible and just take note of every place where you're, you, at some point in your life, have been out of alignment with what God says is right. You'll end up with a long list. Me too. 
And so he says, the law was given that, you know, sin would abound. We would see it. Oh, man, we do have this problem. What are we going to do about it? And then it's just this next phrase. Let me read the whole verse again. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, if you have the Bible with you, read it out loud with me. Grace abounded much more. Much more. How many sins have you committed? Who knows, right? God doesn't just have enough grace for that. He has more grace than is needed for that. Man, this is good news. If you will come and place your faith in Christ, if you already have or if you will, you can't out God's grace. I said, well, that's cool. Then we can just sin as much as we want, right? Chapter (laughs) 6. We don't want to. But more grace than we have sin. That's true before you get saved. That's true after you get saved. More grace than you have sin. And not just more grace, abundant grace, abounding grace. Lots more grace. Amazing grace. Grace, how sweet the sound. Right? Well, what more could we ask of God then? What more could we ask of him, rightly ask of him? He's already done much, much more. I mean, there might be things we'd like him to do, and that's all well and good. We're not saying that, but I'm talking about it's like we have an expectation of God that he should do more than he's already done. So I want to challenge you in two directions today. For those of you here who have never made that decision, once and for all, I'm going to place my faith in Christ and receive him as Savior. If you've never done that, what are you waiting for? Have you heard what God is providing for you if you want it? Forgiveness forever. And for those of you who've already done that, what are you waiting for as far as letting other people know? Do you understand what you have? And the people around you don't have it? What are you waiting for? How how much more does God need to do before you finally say, oh, this is good enough to share? What I want to do is give you today, if you're here or if you're, you're watching online and you've never made that decision once and for all to receive Christ as Savior, I'm going to give you the opportunity to do that here today. Remember this, this idea of faith. is something you need to know. You need to know that you have sinned against God, and I think that's pretty obvious for all of us. And then you need to know that the Son of God came down to earth, named Jesus, lived a perfect and sinless life, died on the cross paying the penalty for our sins, rose again from the dead. And then you need to know that if you will choose to place your faith in him and receive him as Savior, he will forgive every sin, you will receive eternal life, and he'll move into your life and begin to help you grow. And then you need to choose to trust it for yourself. And I want to give you the opportunity to do that. So let's bow our heads right now. No eyes, I mean all eyes closed, no one looking around, please. Let me ask this real quick. 
If you say, boy, I know I have made that decision. I'm so glad I made that decision. I remember when I made that decision. If that's you, would you just real quick raise your hand right now? You know you made that decision. Awesome, you put the hand down. If you're here and you're saying, boy, I don't think I have made that decision. I, I don't know if I've made that decision. Let me encourage you to right now make that decision to place your trust in Christ as Savior. And what I wanna do is I'm gonna lead you in a short prayer to help you with that. And you don't have to pray out loud. You pray in your heart and mind. God knows what you're thinking. He knows what's going on inside. But you pray along with me and you pray to God something like this. Right now in your heart, say something like this to God. Say, God, I know that I have sinned. I know that my sins have separated me from you. And I know if I die like this, I'll go to hell. I don't want that. I believe that Jesus did die for my sins. And I believe that he rose again from the dead. And right now, the best I know how, I receive Christ as my savior. I accept his payment for my sins. Please save me. Amen. Head's still bowed, eyes still closed. Nobody looking around. If you just prayed with me, I really want to encourage you to take just a little, very, very small step of faith and begin acting on this new relationship that you've started with God. And what I'm going to do is, I'm getting just a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and indicate to me, nobody else looking but me, if you prayed with me just a moment ago, sincerely, to receive Christ as Savior, Right now, would you just raise your hand and indicate that to me? I'd like to pray for you about that. I see that hand. Any others? I see that hand. Awesome. Thank you, Father, for these who have prayed to receive Christ. I pray that you'd make this so real in their lives and that they would let us help them to grow and understand more and more and become a part of what you're doing in your church. Thank you for that. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Christians, who do you need to be telling? Who do you need to tell? Who needs to hear from you? Who needs to be invited? Somebody, okay? Now, those of you who prayed with me to receive Christ, by the way, too, today, raise their hands indicating that they prayed to receive Christ as Savior. That is awesome. And possibly someone online, we would hope, right? Uh, I want to encourage you, in the, the chairs there, there's this little a card that says, what's my next step? And so if you prayed with me to receive Christ, or if you didn't and you're just interested, take this out, take it home, read it. And if you have questions about it, ask somebody uh, you know, about this. And we would love to help you with this. If, if you're online and you prayed to receive Christ today, just send us a message, we'll get this information to you, all right? What a great day. People have gone from headed to hell to headed to heaven forever. Isn't that good? All right, God bless you, you're dismissed.